my neck and my stomach open. And the hell is a place of torment where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. When I was there, I saw big demons there, huge. And I saw so many people. You cannot describe the pain and the, and the agony there. Today's guest is telling us what it was like to go to hell and back, literally. It is so crazy, his story, how it changed him, his family, and all those around him that we know it's going to blow your mind. This conversation will fuel you, will challenge you, and will also inspire you to really live your life on this side of eternity for the things that matter most. Previously on the podcast, we interviewed Stephen Gray, the director of a film called After Death, and it was exploring um, just these near-death experiences and, and what they learn and how it changed their life. When we walked out of the theater, Alex and I turned to each other. We were debriefing, saying how good the movie was, and we were like, the one story that really struck us both the most was this guy named Steve, and we were like, we would love to know more about his story. So that brings us here today. We are actually sitting down with Steve, and we're just so thankful for you joining us on this podcast, Steve. Could you kind of share more of just your upbringing, like your childhood? What was it like? What was your faith background like? Yeah, sure. So I was born in uh, 1979 in South Korea, and I was born in the southern provinces where it's a lot less developed than Seoul. So I was living with uh, my uh, grandparents, my aunt and uncles. My father was a very successful businessman, but um, due to some circumstances, he had to uh, start business internationally. And then uh, during that time, me and my mom ended up moving to Boston when I was nine years old. She came as a registered nurse. So uh, yeah, from a young age, I was moving around, uh, I guess exposed to a lot of just wealth. And even from the age of six, I was visiting the Buddhist temples and you know, asking questions about life and eternal life and nirvana and the purpose of man but it was marked mainly by uh, buddhism <laughs> until the age of 19 and then you know you know the asian american or the american dream stereotype where you gotta succeed and then number three just having no sense of real purpose you know that only can come from god so it was very empty in a way too a lot of uh, fear of death and demons and even man which you know when i met god it disappeared. I'm curious to know, were your parents following Jesus or what was their faith? Yeah, so my parents were Buddhist and unfortunately my mom and her mom, my dad and her mom met at a temple and they, they like arranged marriage for each other. And I was born and I found out this later, but I was actually dedicated to, I guess, serving, serving him, but you know, they didn't ask me. <laughs> I was in the temples a lot. I, I had this just a spiritual curiosity and don't get me wrong. I was not like super wealthy, like crazy rich Asians. It was just... <laughs> It was just, you know, wealthy for that little village, for that town that my grandpa was running a bank and a, a rice winery. My dad had like furniture companies, etc. But, um, you know, there was always a sense of emptiness and like a fear of darkness. And I remember having a lot of nightmares, even as a child, and just constantly seeking, you know, fulfillment. I was a radical Buddhist. <laughs> I had the beat on and went to temples, brought my friends from to the temples. Like, hey guys, we gotta we gotta talk to this statue. And they're like, really? Wow. <laughs> but the, of course, the real Christians didn't come with me. <laughs> wow, you're a Buddhist evangelist. Then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I repented of that. Wow. Wow. Okay, so when we saw after death your story, like Grace said, really stuck out. Where you literally almost killed yourself um yep. so i would love for you to actually explain like what led up to that and yeah. just that whole yeah. experience because that 
that is so crazy. Like you, you could have died <laughs> and you're, you're sitting in front of us. Um, yeah. so can you share more about what led to that? And even a little bit about what happened after that as well. And what you learned from that or what you learned about God in that situation. So what led to that was, uh, a, a particular summer where um, I was hanging out with a lot of my friends from high school who ended up kind of choosing the wrong path and they became drug dealers and were in Asian gangs. And, you know, I was never a part of that crowd. I was a, like the good studious kid. But this one summer, the Asian, there was an Asian financial crisis. Uh, they call it the IMF crisis of 98 in South Korea, where just, we just went bankrupt the whole country. And my dad called me one day and he says, hey, Steve, I don't have tuition for you next year. And I was like, dad, I got to go to Pomona College. And by this time, I had my whole life planned out. I was getting real good grades at the Claremont College in Pomona. I was um, about, you know, I had my life planned out. And it's funny because all the years in high school, I was like picturing and drawing out what my future is going to look like. And here comes like, this huge wall of just not having tuition, hanging out with drug dealers in the summer of 1998. And, uh, and during that summer, I ended up that, at that house because um, we, I had nowhere to go. So I'm, I'm living at this house. It's the only one that offered me to stay for three straight months. It was a high school friend of mine. And believe it or not, his mom was a Christian, but you know, I'll share that part of that story later. But I smoked what's called a death bowl. And what this is, is a, a street language for a drug that's laced. It looks like marijuana, but it's like fentanyl. It can be laced anywhere. And it was laced with heroin, cocaine, and PCP. And I ended up Jeez. smoking that. And for some reason, I didn't know what was happening with me, but I had no idea what time it was, who I was, where I was. I was like fried. And I ended up staying up for 240 straight hours in the new semester, in my sophomore year. And uh, and I, did, I had no idea what was my next class. What So I came back home and I was like, mom, I, I can't. Think. I have no idea what's going on. And she's like, we need to pray to Buddha more, <laughs> which made things worse, you know? It's like the worst combo, drugs and Buddhism. You know, Buddhism. So um, so here I am in the living room in Irvine, praying more to Buddha. And at first, you know, I thought the monks would help me. And whenever I called them, they're like, we cannot help you. We have no answers for you. We're doing a silent prayer. Good luck. It was like so cold. And then I prayed to Buddha. And like, we had this little picture that we bought from the you know, monks that's supposed to bring good luck. And it was literally making like popcorn sounds like poltergeist. It was like a scary movie. I was in the middle of a horror movie. Cups are falling in the bathroom, like, and I'm like, oh, so demons are real maybe, but you know, I didn't have Christ back then. So I ended up praying more. And I wrote a letter to my mom after having an encounter with what I know is the devil now, but back then I didn't know what it was. So uh, he came to me as uh, the devil came to me, not with, you know, pitch, pitchfork and horns, but he came to me with as, as an Asian grandpa saying, Hey, I'm going to give you 50,000 less years of hell if you take your own life. So I went to the kitchen and I grabbed the biggest knife I could find, not to end life, but to go to heaven, you know, and, and also to end life maybe because I was just so fried anyway, you know, because of the drugs. And during that 10th night, I, I went for it and it was actually in the morning. I wrote the letter to my mom. She read it. I pretty much said in the letter, mom, I'm sorry for failing you in life. I will meet you in the afterlife. And she was crying as she was reading the letter, I remember. And I got in the living room the next day and I cut my neck and my stomach open. But it was scary, guys. Like, you know, just thinking about it. But I thought maybe I could take my stuff to the afterlife. So I got my Jansport bag. Remember, Jansport bags were popular back then. And yes. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody had one, right? And I put my wallet in there, my Buddhist Bible, thinking like maybe I could take this with me. And then I cut my neck open. But, you know, my mom saw that happen. And there was a little bit of blood on the ground. So she called the cops, 911. They came over and then um, they came quick. This is Irvine, guys. There's cops everywhere. And then they came super quick and they're like, put the knife down. And the grandpa's telling me, if you 
missed this chance. You're not going to get 50 less than last year as hell. You're going to get more. And I was like, oh my gosh, I need to go for it quick. So I went for the stomach, the neck, the whole time. The cops jumped on me, but already the arteries and many of the parts were cut and I got whacked by the bat, maced, very painful. I don't recommend anyone doing that. So uh, I lost a lot of my blood. And and, uh, and then the UCI Medical Center people came, 911 came after, and they put me on a stretcher. And by this time, I was so injured and lost so much blood. So I had... I was going in and out of consciousness. By the time I get to the UCI hospital, I had a uh, out-of-body experience where, you know, my spirit left me and, you know, my spirit started falling, as you saw in the movie. And now I know that was hell, which is in the Bible. It's not in many other religious books, but I went to hell. It, it was just like Christ Jesus described. And then, then the grandpa disappeared while I'm falling. When I landed there, you know, I saw what is uh, biblical hell for good five minutes at least but here on earth it was like eight hours that was my intro to uh the spiritual reality (laughs) i'm (laughs) i'm at a loss of four words because i remember in the movie you you shared a similar version of this and i remember when you showed the scar to prove you know your story (laughs) i audibly i think i was like oh my god like i just like audibly exclaimed and my mouth was just like wide open um and the the audience the whole theater also was like gasping you know so i i I just i'm like reliving that right now but okay so when you said you like descended into this like hellish place like did you put two and two together like oh this is the hell that christians talk about because you had a buddhist background so like how did you make sense of what it even was yeah so i didn't know you know i don't, I don't even believe in hell to be frank as a buddhist they teach you there's no beginning or end so you're, you're always constantly being reincarnated i do remember hearing that like, you can go to hell and come out go to heaven and come out go to hell and come mm. back up it's all mumbo jumbo you know there's no set of rules and i knew it was hell because when i got there it was like the emotional physical spiritual pain that i felt on earth was magnified by by a hundred. Hell is literally not even one ounce of God. There's no God at all, as you guys know very well. And when I went there, I supernaturally knew for the first time because I I am I'm sinking, you know, going down to this abyss. Felt like I was in an elevator or a roller coaster that, that just kept falling. And when I landed, I knew I landed because you know I'm 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 at a place now, and I and I get up and I'm not alone. The whole place is crowded and packed, and I knew supernaturally which I never ever thought about in my whole 19 years of earthly life was that I'm I'm a sinner. I deserve to be here. I'm not a perfect person. I'm a bad person. I never had that thought as a Buddhist because I was, I never killed anyone. I was a pretty good guy. You know, I say sorry and I smile. I was a nice, kind, social, civil person, but there I knew I was a bad person that I, I offended God, which I never, you see, I never really heard the gospel, but I knew also, secondly, supernaturally, I was never going to get out of here, that I'll be here forever and ever and ever and ever. And that was the crazy part of, of experiencing and feeling that. So even as I'm sharing this with you right now, I feel like I'm there at that time. But thank God, because um, my mom prayed with her friends and I'm here now. But and then I read the scriptures after and it said, you know, hell is a place of torment where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Mm. When I was there, I saw big demons there. They were huge. And I saw so many people. And it was dry. There was cracked rocks everywhere. There was like fire. There was no light. It smells bad. It was just a place where no human being should go to is how I would describe it. You cannot describe the pain and the and the agony there that one experiences. So. Thank you for sharing and describing because I think yeah. for a lot of people, we don't like thinking about, you know, heaven or hell, especially hell yeah. because it's scary. Yeah. It's like unknown. But like the way you're describing it, especially because you actually experienced those sensations, 
I feel like it makes it so much more real for people being like, this mm-hmm. stuff is real. That's why we've got to take the gospel seriously. That's why we need to take our oh, faith yeah. and our salvation seriously and not just put it off yes. until it's too late. I think it's interesting. One theme that we noticed um, in pretty much all the near-death experience accounts that was shared in the film was also this like supernatural knowledge. Like people who said they didn't learn this or they didn't know how to listen to God, but then they downloaded suddenly all this knowledge in their head about why they were there or what was going to happen or what even God was saying to them, which just shows us, I, I feel like a lot of us forget it's it's not like this secret code to decipher what God is saying. Sometimes he just gives us the knowledge and we just like know supernaturally. Yeah, exactly. So after you experienced that, what brought you out of that and how did that change you? The scripture talks about God giving us new hearts and new spirits. If anyone's in Christ. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I literally came out of hell into Christ, if you think about it, because when I'm there, the Buddhist spirit is gone. No one's there to help me. Everyone's in agony, eternal destruction. And uh, my mom had a friend, which was the mother of the friend that I was staying at. She was actually praying for me to preach the gospel one day. Her son and friends were, you know, selling drugs. And I know that happened. And, you know, from a local church called Grace Ministries International, it's one church that baptized a million people in planted 10,000 churches. They're on fire just by the Holy Spirit. And, you know, Mrs. Kim went there and she brought seven of her friends and pastors from that church and they started praying for me in the ER. And I'm so grateful for that because it's those prayers that I literally believe saved me because a specialist flew in at the last minute and found all the blood vessels that were torn up. This guy was a genius special surgeon. He said if it was a few minutes late or if anything went wrong, I would have been dead. So he actually told my mom, it looks like your son's not going to make it during the surgery. It was a two-process surgery, eight hours long. And I opened my eyes and I was surrounded by the Grace Church pastors in the, in, the, in the emergency room. But before I came up, you know, I did not see the Lord at this stage, but I remember hearing his voice. It was, I love you. No more Buddhism and no more drugs. And when I opened my eyes, I was like, that was definitely not a voice I've ever heard in my life. Who, who was that? And, and and I knew it was Jesus because these pastors around me saying like, do you want to accept Christ? As soon as I opened my eyes, awake from the coma, they were there to like grasp my soul for the Lord. And they asked me if I wanted to pray the sinner's prayer. I said, of course I do. So I prayed it not once or twice that night or three times, but I prayed that. I remember waking up that evening. It was like 4 or 5 p.m. I prayed it 10 times. I was reading that prayer. I was like, does this seal the deal? They're like, yeah, you want to, it does. And you want to pray again? I was like, yes, I prayed it again. I was like, can I pray it again? Jesus yeah, insurance, 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 assurance. Got Jesus come into my life, come into my life. And then as we were conversing th- throughout the next week or so, I learned that what I saw was a biblical hell and that I wanted to get saved. So, you know, that changed me in a profound way because everything I believed in and hoped in, which was in this other belief, this Korean version of Buddhism was was was, was a lie. I would have never thought that because every Christian that came to me, I made fun of them. I rebuked them before this incident. I was like, you guys are a bunch of fake you know, why do you guys worship a Jewish God? And they're like, hmm, good question. You know, and I had all these like one-liners to shut down other Christians. And now I'm like telling all my friends, like back then we had cassette players, remember cassette players? And so I'm like pressing record on the cassette player saying, guys, you guys need to believe in Jesus. Sorry for taking you to temples. Like we got to go to church, like read the Bible. And I would seal the cassette tape and send it to my friends in Korea, Boston, LA. And like call everybody, you know, on the, on the payphone. Hey guys, you know, dial phones. Like guys, yeah, you got to accept God. And that's what happened the first year but the lord was merciful because nine months later he he 
he showed me a vision of heaven as well. Christ came to me again nine months later because I kept partying again, guys. Even after this, I was like, let me drink one more time. Let me go raving, clubbing one more time. So I, I started going to car accidents and the Lord made it clear that there's no way back. In the summer of 1999, which was the following year, Jesus in his mercy uh, showed me in a dream uh, a vision of heaven, which was in the book of Revelation. And I saw the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven like a bride, a city made of pure gold. And I heard the voice of God, which said, Jesus Christ is my uh, beloved son. Listen to him, listen to him, listen to him. And like when Jesus speak, God, when, that was the first time I heard the audible voice of the father now. And he doesn't go like, hey, how was the pizza? Like, you know, he liked the weather. He's like, boom, like here's the word. Because faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. So even though I'm having all these crazy experiences, in the midst of that, Jesus and the father always spoke through the word, which I find amazing. So I read that Bible about 80 times after getting saved. I went to seminary. Uh, all my dreams of becoming an attorney and rich and successful went out the window. It didn't matter. I saw heaven and hell. I knew exactly where we're going for the zillions and trillions and billions of years we're going to be there. Eternity to what God calls. Compared to eight years in, here on earth, so life model became, you know, only one life. It will soon be passed. Uh, what's done will only what's done for Christ will last. Became like a daily motto. So you know, here we are, you know, on a Monday afternoon, even after ministry on Sunday, you know, uh, evangelism Saturday, I did another interview Thursday, um, Friday outreach. So this every day is about Jesus and, and we don't burn out because he's the one who sustains us and gives us the strength. We're just vessels. <laughs> wow. Jeez. I feel encouraged by this. Yeah. <laughs> Your experience was like a Damascus Road experience. Like you literally, you were like Paul, like persecuting Christians. And then afterwards, like Paul's like spreading the gospel. So that's just really inspiring. <laughs> I feel like for some of us, especially with Asian backgrounds and family members, like we have Buddhist family members too. And sometimes, yeah. or, or agnostic atheists. And sometimes we're like, is there hope? Like <laughs> they change. Yeah. It almost seems hopeless sometimes, you know, but hearing just your before and after and seeing you now and, and seeing how like filled with the spirit and filled with love for Jesus you are, it encourages me in that aspect as well. I'm wondering for the person who's listening to this, maybe they're not like so deep in into Buddhism or some other faith, but maybe they're deep into something else and the concept sure. of like the devil is kind of unknown to a lot of people. So how would someone know whether they're flirting with the devil or they're like on the deep end? The Lord is so good, like, and there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Um, you know, when I first got saved, you know, because I come from a legalistic Buddhist background with, you know, we're Asian American culture. It's all about performance. And the church, it kind of carries that into the church. Knowing me, unknowingly, there's no mercy at times. And so my first half of my walk as a Christian, so I became a pastor five years later. But during these five years, I'm like constantly evangelizing. And everybody's like, oh, you're going to be a pastor, Steve. So I thought it's going to be like hunky-dory, fine and easy, like sipping, you know, like Jamba Juice and preparing Bible studies at the beach and God would just like supernaturally <laughs> provide and protect me. But now the training is beginning on how to say no to the flesh, how to walk with Christ, how to walk the narrow road of life, how to um, please the Lord and be led by the Spirit. And these are things, you know, that took a long time to learn. So first of all, for believers, I want to encourage everybody, you know, never ever to rule yourself out because I was the one guy that ruled myself out. I said, man, God cannot use a, because I became very ill and like weak after this incident, like before I was athletic kind of and trying to do sports, but now I can't even run like two minutes because my, you know, I'm injured and I was suicidal. I hated myself, but the Lord taught me how to respect and love the way he made me and the way he views me, like took over all that mindset. And it took many years to get to a point of having 
even like a, a very consistent walk with God because it came through repentance, confession, being humble, transparent. You know, because even after I met Christ, I kept committing the same sins. But when I confessed it on Facebook, even to my youth kids, the sins of like smoking, you know, looking stupid things and, and saying stupid things would just disappear. And after the car accidents, I never went back clubbing, you know, because I was so afraid of God. Like God's grace had to be present for me to be sanctified or taken to a deeper level of walks. So I know legalism doesn't work. Striving doesn't work. The grace of God shows up. And Jesus carries you through. But to get to that point takes a lot of dying. Jesus says, take up your cross every day and follow me. And it's a, it's not about, oh, I'm going to yeah take up this cross. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do it. It's not that. It's like saying, let me let me lead you to a point of surrender. And I'm not going to say the Christian life is easy, but it's the most joyful and glorious. Because after I met Jesus, I was so filled with joy. Like my depression disappeared. I was so depressed as a, as a Buddhist, so afraid of death and demons, so much fear. So, you know, God made me very supernaturally bold where now we're preaching at mosques, Costco. Like I open air preach almost every week, every week, talk to everybody. God sends us and we'll be, we'll be there, you know, just by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, went to um, many nations, you know, trying to preach the gospel. So this happens when Jesus carries us. So, yeah, that's a very good question, Alex. And there's such a long answer to it. But I do want to say that... Um, the one thing that we cannot be lukewarm or uncertain about is one salvation. The Lord says, I, well, you can gain the whole world, but lose your soul. What's the point? And he says, whoever tries to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his or her life for my sake in the gospels will save it forever. So the sense of like, Lord, what do you want? Have your way. And Jesus always speaks to us in John 10. He says, my sheep hear my voice. How would someone know that they're lukewarm? The way I look at it is like Jesus gave us our everything. So we have to give him our everything. So I used to think giving him our everything was moving to a different country. So I actually moved to China a year after I got saved. Resigned from Pomona College and I just went over there to be a missionary. And, you know, there's like communist soldiers chasing me. We're running away. And like it was a very book of Acts kind of like experience. But the funny thing was after that, they told me to go back to America. The missionaries told me to come back to America to get a degree. And come back and I was like, really? You want me to come back? When I told all my family and friends, I'm not going to die in China for the Lord. When I came back, um, you know, my concept of like being radical for Jesus is becoming missionary to living daily life with the Lord is what he taught me. And so many of us have jobs, including myself. I got married six years ago, so I became a bivocational pastor. I was a full-time revivalist until about six, seven years ago. And so I work as well. And the Lord taught me how to love my coworkers and we always talk about God somehow. They know I have Christ and you know we're not engaging in the same activities. It says in the word of God, first John five, whoever loves the world or the things of the world or the boast of life, the lust of the flesh, cannot have the love of the Father. So if there's anything that is bothering any Christian's conscience, that thing probably needs to go. And that is a huge sign for Christians to repent because you know repentance has two types. One of them is for repenting onto the kingdom and then the other is repenting to stay in the lord and on fire so how do we stay on fire how do we make sure we're not lukewarm you know examine your heart god gave us a conscience for a reason if my conscience tells me i'm sold out for the lord you're you put you i bet you're sold out for the lord but if your conscience says man i'm holding back then maybe it's time to repent and say lord what do you want me to surrender even more and he will show us and it doesn't mean quitting your job like I used to think or just like preaching everywhere. I think it means having Jesus Christ as number one in everything we do. And if he says go to go, if he says to wait to wait, to walk with Jesus, to be one with Christ. There are certain things where the Lord's like, you know, put me put me as number one. Work for me. Walk with me. 
And I want to encourage everybody listening that even one having one verse throughout the day is a good start. To have the word and to walk with the word, to think about it and to do what it says is, is, is scripture. Like it says, walk the narrow road of life. It doesn't just mean like be by yourself. It means like let's there's, there's conflict at the workplace. If you love Jesus, you want to obey him and you say, Lord, what is the narrow road in this case? And now you're not arguing with them. You're actually praying for the, you're the one guy praying for the boss who made a big mistake where everybody else is gossiping saying guys like you know this is this is the narrow way so you know the word of god is so practical so available for the child life and as we surrender more and more our hearts start to burn we realize ah it's not about me it's about god and those around me and serving them keeps us on fire because even the son of man came to serve and not to be served he laid down his life so yeah he's our role model you know as you're talking about just spiritual maturity and discipleship and just your journey you know i think that's really um encouraging especially for people who might feel maybe they're newer to their faith or maybe they feel like they're stuck and it can get uh, frustrating because i think the world teaches us everything is on your own willpower right like if you if you're not trying hard enough and you're not growing it's your fault you know and it, it gets us stuck in these cycles of shame um which is what the enemy uses against us to keep us right, trapped. exactly but as you're talking about just continuing to learn and grow and you know we'll mess up and uh but it's it's all about just like you said it's about continuing to pursue god and evaluating your heart and like it's a lifelong journey it's not like oh yeah i'm gonna be all good now you know perfect with god and then you know i'm happily ever after it's like it's a lifelong journey of repentance and evaluation and really surrendering to god which is the exact opposite of you know, controlling our own growth by our own willpower. So I just felt really compelled to say that for whoever is listening. I think sometimes it's easy to be like, oh, like you guys have such amazing stories, but you know, I'm God doesn't, he's not with me as powerfully as maybe, you know, with Steve or these other near death experiences, but I can totally relate. Like, even though I've never had a near death experience, I've also had many moments where I've been like, am I doing the right thing? Like, with God, God's way and with God and he in his unique, you know, perfect orchestration will know exactly what you need to have that wake up call or realization when you just seek him. We're all servants of God. We're all equal in his eyes. Amen. That's good stuff. So for you, did your family and friends, like what was their reaction? Because it was just such a radical change in you, right? I'm sure they were like taken aback. Like, who is this? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it was a good question. So after this happened, um, my mother became Christian, you know, within a few days because she's like, you know what? Buddha doesn't answer prayer. Jesus does. And Jesus saved my son. And then my brother became Christian. Dang. At first he was hiding a little Buddhist relics, trying to like hide it somewhere. And my mom and I found it. I was like, you, are you serious? And he's like, you know what? I don't like to hide this somewhere. I want to be Christian. So now he's married to a woman of God. She's Korean, but she speaks like Portuguese and Spanish. She came from Brazil and all about Jesus. I'm married to a pastor's daughter my father got saved 10 years later and now he's on fire for jesus he just came back from the philippines from the mission field he used to pursue money and the prototypical asian success story whatever but now Mm. all he does is serve the lord and um, so yeah uh, my whole family got saved met a lot of great mentors and brothers and sisters in in the kingdom 
lifelong friends for the, for the Lord. So yeah, when Jesus says, you know, when you meet me, you're going to have persecution, but you're going to have suffering, you know, because I discipline those I love. But at the same time, I'm going to give you a hundredfold new brothers and sisters, fathers, mothers, and home, it says in the gospel. So it was worth it. You know, it's worth losing everything to gain Christ. My question is never like, are you a Christian? I tell, I ask like, have you, does Jesus live in, in your heart? And he does. And he wants to come in. He wants to save everybody. That's what the word of God says. He desires everyone to come into the kingdom. Wow, Steve, you're a, you're a man of a lot of wisdom. <laughs> Whatever the Lord teaches me, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For people who are struggling with faith or facing their own battles, uh, I'm thinking of people who just life isn't going their way and they're doubting their faith. Maybe not so much the existence of God or salvation, but just if God is so loving, then where is he? Um, yeah. What would you say to that person? Those emotions are at times very misleading. I would say those thoughts need to be renewed. God says to renew our minds. Because his will is good and perfect and acceptable. Because, the, the you know, the devil's real too. I don't want to you know, ignore that. He's always accusing and lying and condemning the brethren, the church. But the Lord, when he shows up, he always says peace. In his presence is a fullness of joy. There's no room for condemnation when he shows up, you know, unless somebody hates him, you know, which is like the religious people, like Pharisees. But the majority of our brothers and sisters and even the listeners are normal people, just like you and I. And he's a good shepherd, so never give up. Because me too, I, the first 10 years of my Christian walk, guys, the condemnation never left. I was such a striving, anxious, still like sick Christian. Like I knew God loved me and I became a lot more bolder and confident. But like a, a part of me was still like, am I, does God really love me? I don't doubt it anymore though, because I got to share this part. I guess I got to share my second like, near death experience, which was like, I just got sick after 10 years of preaching everywhere and fasting and praying. And I just burned out. I lost 30 pounds and I felt like God just kind of used me for my story and got rid of me. This was in 2012, 2013. And then that's when I had a, a reawakening with the Lord where he was like, man, Steve, it's, it's not about your might or strength. Like, I love you so much. And he's telling all the listeners right now, I love you so much. And, you know, sometimes a condemnation does come in through our habitual sin. You know, the word of God says, those who are born of God cannot sin and do not continue to sin. What that means is we actually have the ability now to confess to one another, to live a lot more holier than what we used to. Like I can tell you very boldly right now, all the strongholds I used to have as a Buddhist were, are destroyed. When I humble myself and confess to my friends and my church, all the things that used to hold me bound are gone. God's my witness. They, he pulled them out by the roots, whatever they may be. And we're not perfect because we still walk on earth, but the, you know, it's a constant relying on the Lord. Why would you want to be perfect and not rely on God? That itself is like Buddhism where you're all, you're all alone in nirvana. So I would tell every listener, do, do not believe he gave up on you. He's going to use you and it's going to be okay, but at his timing. So the one regret I have, you know, until I had that you know, second encounter with the Lord was the only thing I regret is like doubting so much and complaining so much to God. I wish I was, I thanked him a little more and sang a little more and believed a little more like Noah and Abraham did. I was such a doubter. Even those guys messed up. You look at who wrote the Bible, guys. Paul, a murderer of Christians. Moses, who murdered a fellow Egyptian. Did you know two murderers wrote, wrote our Bible, ex-murderers? Isn't that crazy? <laughs> that is crazy. At least you and I didn't kill nobody. Like I look at God saving Moses and Paul and I go, you know, he can save them. He can save me. If he can save me, he can save you, the listener. He will use you. For me, it took so many years of like training and waiting. I, 
I just want it to happen instantly because we think instantly is good. But whatever is good quality in any field of life or practice or even Christianity takes time. So, th- you know, so do, please be patient with God because he's patient with you. And he's going to be the one that carries out his plans in your life. It's going to happen. No doubt. Amen. <laughs> yes. So good. I think what you shared, you're talking about the striving mentality, even as a Christian, like you knew of God's love intellectually, but your heart wasn't, it wasn't sinking in your heart. I feel like so many of us can relate to that, especially, you know, here in the Bay Area where it's like all hustle, all about career, yes. but then also oh, yeah. for Asians, you know, that's so ingrained. Like you heart, you work hard, you earn what you work for. And I think a lot of us, like growing up, just from what we experience and and talk about with our friends is because we never got like that affirmation or validation maybe that we were looking for as children. So even as Christians, we're like subconsciously still trying to strive for the validation, even though we've already gotten it from God. If anyone's listening and can relate to that, like that's why we talk a lot about on this podcast about doing the work to evaluate like what are those barriers that are blocking you from actually connecting with God's love because you can know all the you know Bible verses in your head but if you're not connecting in your soul in your heart level with with actual like compassion and grace and love from God then it's just like all head heavy and not you know going down into your heart to transform you from the inside out thank you so much Steve this has been just so encouraging even for the both of us I did want to ask you one last question about, you know, if you could go back maybe like 10 years ago, what would be your, the biggest piece of wisdom or advice you would give yourself? Wow, that's a great question, Alex and Grace. This is one of the best interviews I had because you guys are asking very insightful, practical questions. And even as I'm sitting here, I feel the love of God that you guys have. You guys are, you know, sincere worshipers and lovers of the Lord. That's why you get, you guys have been doing things like this to bless the community, your neighbors, the, the whole world through online media. And, you know, if, if I could turn back the hands of time, even though we can't, as we can imagine, right? <laughs> and, um, and what I would do is I would get mentors who will manipulate or control you, but really care about you. Because my life started to change after I started meeting great, deep, loving, unconditional fathers who been there before me. I would plug into a community filled with other sinners just like you and I. There's no perfect community, but having community really changed my life because the you know the first 10 years of my Christian walk, I was so busy leading revivals and going to churches. I was like a one-man lone ranger, like going here and there, trying to do one more sermon or another, make another book. It doesn't matter. I would plug into community. I would get mentors. I would do the work of God, which is to believe in the Lord Jesus, the Lord said. He said the work of God is not to um, make ministries and get crazy, have boasting stories. He said, is to believe that before believe is to trust. So every time I wake up, you know, even in the car, like we've been doing morning prayer. We did it for the past 101, 1,190, like five days without missing a day. We've been praying every morning ever since the Lord spoke to us when COVID broke out. And it's led to so many salvation and deliverance stories and ministries growing. But the Lord's not impressed by that because he's the one doing that. He, he All he wants is us to completely Trust in him. So I would encourage anyone that are younger even or don't want to have regrets, completely trust in Jesus. He is trustworthy. Make him the center of everything. Let him do whatever. Breakfast, lunch, dinner, marriage, work, future, retirement, missions, ministry, music, online, offline. Let him do it. Spend time with him. Get used to his voice and his presence. Let Christ be the center of everything you do because without him, it's all meaningless. 
He's the hero. He's the center stage. He's the main character of after that. He's the chief senior pastor of my church. He's the head of my marriage. And it's been constantly being aware of him. So yeah, he loves you very much. You cannot fail. You cannot fail in the kingdom. So. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so encouraging. Steve, thank you so uh, much for sharing your story. And thanks. we really cannot wait to see what God does in your life. Would you mind doing the honors of praying? Yeah, I'd love to pray for you, Alex and Grace, and everyone who's listening. Yeah, let's pray because God, God answers every prayer. Not one word of prayer falls to the ground. Father God, we just want to, with our hands and our hearts, we want to come to your presence boldly. It says in the scripture to come boldly into the throne of grace. And Daddy, we can tell you everything we want and need and according to your perfect heart. So, Lord God, first of all, I want to ask you to continue to bless and expand and multiply the influence of Alex and Grace's uh, timely podcast in these last days. You've called them to influence this generation, God, and they obeyed you. And in the book of Job, it says, Our beginnings are humble, but our end shall be magnanimous, God, huge. So we thank you, God, for the influence Alex and Grace will have upon the nations in this generation. And the hearts that they have for the Lord will just continue to go deeper and pure, burning for you, Jesus. For it is you who first loved us. And we receive that love, Lord God. And everyone who's listening on this uh, amazing podcast, bless my brothers and sisters, even the seekers, God, to encounter you, Jesus. Reveal your glory, God. For seeing you one second is better than hearing about you a million times. We want to see, we pray for direct encounters, the heart-to-heart connections, for people to meet you and see how amazing, glorious, merciful, holy, powerful, humble, faithful, and trustworthy of a shepherd you are, how sweet you are, Jesus. We love you and worship you, God, and we thank you, Father, for blessing everyone here with your mercy and your favor. And we thank you, Lord, and in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Woo! Hallelujah. Amen. We hope that this blessed you and really spoke to you and really challenged you to think about how do we live our lives fully for God and for the things that matter most? How do we not put off the big questions and the reality of what comes after death? Because everybody here will die. It sounds really morbid, but it's true. And so if you didn't catch the previous episode we did with After Death director Stephen Gray, you need to make sure to catch that as well because he gives even more context around near-death experiences and putting everything into context on how do we reconcile that with theology how do we interpret that for our own lives lastly i did want to invite you and encourage you if you haven't yet to sign up for our email list this is how we are giving out more updates more podcast episodes and more content and opportunities to be a part of dictating what you guys want to hear voting for it letting us know uh, the questions that you have and the topics you want us to talk about and the guests you want us to interview it's in the link in the description below and we can't wait for you to join us again next week for another conversation on living for God in our everyday lives.